Now before you're seated, turn to your neighbor and tell them, let's help the preacher preach today. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Now how can you help me preach? You can help me preach just by saying amen every once in a while. Amen. Amen. Something just hits you in the spirit. You just say, man, that's for me. Just say amen. That means so be it. Amen. I receive it. Today, uh, our second Sunday in December, and uh, as we start gathering toward the holiday season, of course, we're surrounded by beautiful decorations and, and programs that testify that the holiday season is fastly approaching, if not already arrived. Amen. Uh, I'm beginning to believe that the holiday season arrives a lot earlier than it used to. Uh, there's some that were decorated before Thanksgiving. And I know why that is, because if you don't want your tree or whatever you decorate with to stay up till St. Patrick's Day, <laughs> usually, you know, Thanksgiving or immediately thereafter, you begin putting out things that uh, maybe it was family things that you've decorated uh, with for years or mom and dad stuff or grandparent stuff, manger scenes and lights and colors and bows and all of that. We are here today uh, in gathering toward the holiday season and this may be a little odd uh, thought for this time of year. I, I believe the Lord spoke to me about this today and I want to share it with you. As I get older, uh, and I'm not an old man by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm not, I don't want to uh, act foolish either and say I'm young. You ever met old people that act foolish like they're young? <laughs> they try to act like they're young, look like they're young. Uh, I think it's uh, gracious to accept uh, the stage of life you're in. I mean, I know when you're 80, there are things that uh, the doctor can do and give you that make you act like a 30-year-old, but you're not supposed to act like a 30-year-old when you're 80. You're supposed to be 80. Amen. And so, you know, in the same token, you know, when you're 15, you has has gone past 6 p.m. and is moving on to about 7.30 uh, as far as if my life were the time of day. Uh, when you start thinking about that, when you start, when you discover that, when you, uh, when you accept that, you start asking yourself, what is the purpose of my life? Now, I know you say those things when you're younger and when people say, what do you want to be when you grow up? You start thinking about life's purpose, but but some of those things come into your mind before your mind is able to comprehend the breadth of life and the, the depth of life and the circumstances that you're going to face. Uh, life's purpose. I don't want to be a Solomon that when I get to the end and he writes and says, you know, uh, all is vanity, all is vexation. I don't want life to be that depressing. <laughs> I guess with 700 wives and 300 <laughs> Combines, concubines, <laughs> I guess, I guess uh, maybe we might all say that. But we find ourselves pulled in different directions, desirings and longings. And, and uh, you've met people that, uh, you know, when I get this job, I'll be happy. When I move into this house, I'll be happy. When I get this income in my life, this, this uh, level of income, I'll finally be happy. And you know as well as I that when you get there, <laughs> you're not satisfied. We envy other people. If I could have what they have, then I'd be happy. I don't know why they're not happy. If I had what they had, I'd be happy. And then when we get what they had, uh, we're not happy either. The older we grow, the more we ask, what is the purpose of life? Why am I here? Micah 6 and 8, this is a strange verse to read on the second Sunday of December, but I think it ought to give us pause today. Micah 6 and verse 8, he hath 
showed thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee. I think that's good to know. Wait, I said I think that's good to know what the Lord wants from me. And that is this, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Man, that's a short to-do list. <laughs> that's not a long list. That's, that's, that's not difficult to understand, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk with God. Everybody say walk with God. To walk with God. To walk with God intimates that I know him that I love him, that I've seen him, that I've talked with him and he's talked with me. Walking with God. We need not look far to see man's search for their God. There are religions today that require certain things that uh, testify of their search for their God, whether it's cleansing in a certain river, whether it's a journey to a certain place. We see people hungry to know their God. They reach for him. They pray to him. My pastor, uh, I was my senior pastor. Uh, we, we are humored by it. Well, we were touched by it and humored all the way to this very moment. Uh, he's on an airplane full of people heading to the Middle East and and uh, there are all kind of people on the, it wasn't an airplane full of apostolics, so there were all kind of flavors and all kind of, uh, it was Baskin Robbins flight to the Middle East. <laughs> and uh, in the middle of that flight, because of the, uh, the long hours, uh, the hour of prayer came from certain, uh, came for certain searchers of their God and their requirements and in the middle of that flight there were people that rose up and got out in the aisle and laid down their mats and faced a certain direction and began to pray and my pastor was buckled into his seat and flying to the Middle East going to Jerusalem and he got to looking at what they were doing and they got down on their knees and started praying and bowing and my pastor started unbuckling his seatbelt and somebody said, where are you going? And he, he was uh, mentioned to have said in that flight, he said, I want to tell you they don't know God like I know God and ain't nobody going to get out on the aisle and pray more than a child of God that's been baptized in his name, filled with his spirit. So he got out in the middle of that aisle and started walking up and down, worshiping the Lord and praying. <laughs> There are people everywhere that search for God, that long for God. They display their earnestness to know their God. Fanatical, we may call it. Morbid, even to some definitions. But it all is a definition of their search for God. David Brainerd, in his missions effort, in his, in his, uh, in his diary, stated of the drums of those Indians of that of the natives of that country that he was uh, trying to bring a missions work to, and he stated in his diary, "Lord, forgive the sound of their drums. It is just the sound of their searching for you." Huh. Everybody's searching for God somewhere. They're looking for Him. They want to know where He is. I believe the King is among us today. I believe. What I feel today is more than emotion. I feel that whether two or three are gathered together, there he is in their midst. <laughs> he said, I'm going away, but I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. <laughs> I'm glad Jesus is here today. I said, I'm glad Jesus is here today. I'm glad the wonderful is here today. I'm glad the counselor is here today. Oh, give the Lord Jesus a hand clap if you praise him. If you believe he's here tonight, amen. And I hope we have not uh, lowered our goal in life to something less than to walk humbly with the Lord our God. I'm going to say that again. I hope we have not lowered our goal in life to something less than walking with God himself. I pray this never becomes just a lifestyle. Oh, I'm going to say it again. I hope I do not lower the goal in life to something less than walking with God every day. 
I hope it becomes more than just a, a lifestyle that I live. I, it's got to be more than just service I do for God. Well, I go to church and I sing in the choir or I do this or I do that. that that's lower than walking with God. No, you're not hearing me. Dress in, come on, all the stuff that we feel is pleasing to God. I, I don't want to just settle for something less than walking with. Now, it's important that I serve him, and it's important that I walk with God, and it's important that I'm holy in an unholy world, but I don't want to do anything less than walking with God. I want to walk with him. I want to walk with him. I said, I want to walk with him. In fact, let me say this as well. I hope you got your helmet on today. <laughs> I don't want to settle for anything less than walking with God. I believe that will change. Just walk with me. Just walk with me. This is what, Lord, what do you want me to do? And we always ask that in terms of where should I go? Who should I marry? Where should I work? What if God just answered? And maybe that's why you haven't gotten an answer. It's because he already has answered. Lord, what would you have me to do? Well, walk with me. Just walk with me. I have to say that I've lived long enough to know that, rock, that walk is not always going to be a climb. It's not always going to be a descent. It's not always going to be through paths that I'm comfortable with. It's not always going to be in the beautiful places. It's going to go through some dark places. The trail's going to get narrow. I'm going to have to hold to his unchanging hand. I'm going to have to believe that he knows where he's going. And when I say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he says, oh, just, just walk with me. And there's some places he started leading that I didn't think I was ready to go. Just this is what I require of thee. If spiritual experiences are the entire aim of my life, I tend to become occupied with my own personal experience. <laughs> this produces sad, hungry, dissatisfied people always hoping to find some secret formula or some blessing or some new experience. It leaves me self-centered. The goal is not him. The goal is me.
story of mankind began with God and he was and is complete in himself. He has no needs. He's not deficient in any way. But he deliberately chose, it seems, to be incomplete without creatures of his own creating. Listen, if he is eternal and he dwelt before there was ever a world formed, it seems as it... As it but he chose not to it was for the delight of God that he brought man into existence man was intended to be the object of all of God's affection all of his creation yes and if I exist as the object of his affection for his delight then my greatest purpose would be to receive that affection to receive his delight to respond to that relationship if that's why I'm created I'm created for more than just chopping wood and working a job and going home I'm created for more than that I'm created for his pleasure he wants to walk with me. Wow. Wow. But you know as well as I, that's why mankind was created. That's why we were put here. But those walks together in the cool of the day soon came to an end. Man forsook the purpose, the object of God's affection. He forsook God's love upon him to become like God, man chose to no longer be dependent upon God, fooling himself and fooled of the tempter. He thought in grasping the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he'd become like God. No needs. Independent. In this, man lost out the purpose of his life. Had God chosen to leave man there, no one could have ever charged him with injustice. He had already showered all of his love and all of his affection upon man who he created only to have it thrown back in his face. If God had chosen to leave us in the place of sin, nobody could have charged him with being unjust. <laughs> he had already shown us how much he loved us by creating what we see today. Wow. And after all that, and, and, and God showing his affection to his creation by creating all of this and then having it thrown back in his face, after all that, God said, you know what? He lost it, but I'm going to recover him. It's not enough to create this wonderful world we live and then drop his greatest creation in it and say this is all for you. If you'll just walk with me, everything's going to be all. But man didn't want to do that. And then God wasn't surprised. God wasn't shocked. The Bible tells us that God, uh, redemption was not a last minute thought. Redemption was not brought about to meet the need in some unexpected emergency. No sooner had sin entered the garden than when God spoke the next time, he said, he tells about the one who is to come, the one who is gonna bruise the head of the serpent, the one who is gonna destroy the work of the enemy. Oh, praise God. It didn't take him 30 years to figure that out as soon as man had sinned God said I got a redeemer on his way no no I don't know if you're hearing me today as soon as man walked out God said I'm gonna recover him oh somebody ought to shout that he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world yes he was oh yes he was oh yes he was and I'm thankful Oh, clap your hands unto the Lord. Soon as man sinned, God said, there's coming somebody that's going to rectify this situation. In doing that, God revealed that this sad turn of events was not, had not taken him by surprise. That tells me that the medicine preceded the disease. No, you're not hearing me. 
I don't know how many billions of dollars are dumped into cancer research trying to find a remedy for diseases that uh, we have yet to find a cure. I want to tell you that's not the way God works. God didn't go to work in his laboratory after sin busted in the scene and he said, well, I got to find a remedy. No, the remedy preceded the disease. He was the lamb that was already crucified before man ever was created. Oh, what wondrous love hath the Father bestowed on us. Come on, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that you would even visit him. But this is what the Lord requires, that you walk humbly. That's all I want. He doesn't need our money. Time, what is time to him? You're telling God everything you've sacrificed for him, phooey. That's the best unvulgar word I've got for it. Phooey. Well, I gave up this. I, no, you didn't give up nothing. You didn't have nothing. You don't have anything to give. I'm shocked when I step in the funeral home. And, you know, nowadays uh, uh, it's a little cheaper to, to cr- get cremated. So, you know. I'm sure if you're aware of that, but I'm kind of shocked. You know, you don't need a seven, eight foot casket. I'm shocked when I walk in and take the podium and the dear beloved departed that's, that we're there to honor their, their, in, their body. The dust of their frame is in a box about the size of a shoe box. You're telling God everything you've given and everything you got. No, I'm this. I don't want to give up that. I want to tell you something. You'll fit in a shoebox before it's over with. No, you're not hearing me. You had nothing and you're not ever going to, you're going to leave this world the same way you came in. You came in naked, you're leaving naked. If there's anything to your life, it's not the stuff stuffed in your basement. It's to walk humbly with the Lord your God. Am I walking with him? Am I walking with him? I don't care what kind of car you drive. Are you walking with him? I don't care how much they pay you where you work. Are you walking with him? Come on, clap your hands unto the Lord today. Oh, hallelujah, Lord, help me get to it. Repentance is my way. Repentance is my part in the gateway on the road back to fellowship with God. It's when I begin this journey of repentance that God begins to deal with my self-centered will. Wills that I want to say are inflamed and swollen with the poison of rebellion. It is repentance that begins the journey back to walking with God. Lord, not my will, but your will. Lord, not my way. I've been going the wrong way. I've been thinking crazy stuff about it. But I want to walk with you, God. And the minute you make that your heart's desire, you'll be amazed at the power of his hand and the peace of his hand and the solace of his hand. In repentance, I come back to that place where I walk with God, walk with God. This is what the Lord requires, that you walk humbly, with God, yet God is unknowable unless he grants to me a revelation of himself. Job 23 and 3, oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. Job 26, 14, lo, these are just parts of his ways, but how little a portion is heard of him, but the thunder of his power Who can understand? Nobody can figure him out. These are just a portion of what we know about him, but you haven't got him cornered. Who is he? Where is he? How can I walk with him? Left to myself, I arrive at a false knowledge of God. I might think he's like a doting grandfather that winks at mistakes and doesn't care what we do. Or I might see him as a judgmental guy carrying a big old axe around ready to chop somebody's head off. Without a revelation, I can arrive at a false knowledge of who he is. <laughs> if I don't walk with him, I can come up with some crazy... Oh, now wait a minute. If I don't walk with him... <laughs> 
I don't have a I don't have the right interpretation of who he is if I don't walk with him. I've got good news for you today. God made a full and a final revelation of himself which made him understandable, it made him accessible, and it made him desirable. I can come boldly into his presence. God showed me what he's like. God showed me how to understand. Oh, yeah. Here, here it is, to a doubting and fearful Joseph whose heart is torn and tormented. The angel says in Matthew 1, and she shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. That's what I know about him. He's a savior. He doesn't want me lost. He doesn't want me bound. He wants me saved. He's not willing that any should perish. Oh, anybody happy about the good news today? Oh, come on, praise him for the good news. He's gone to prepare a place for us that where he is, there we may be also. The disciples grappled with the unknowableness, if that's even a word, the unknowableness of God. They weren't sure they had it figured out. John 14 and 8, Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, we'll be satisfied. Jesus said to Philip, have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? See there, if you spend time with him, you're going to get to know him. Oh, uh, that sounds a lot more like uh, coming to an altar and having an experience with God is not the end. That sounds like that's the beginning. Because I only know him if I get up from that altar and I say I'm going to walk with him tomorrow and I'm going to walk with him Tuesday and I'm going to talk with him on Wednesday. Yeah. Have I been so long with you, Philip, yet you have not known me? He that had seen me had seen the Father. What an incredible revelation. That we who were outcast, that we who had no right to even know his love, know his wisdom, know his power, God wrapped it up in a body. In him dwelleth all the fullness. I love Christmas. Because I can talk about who's in that manger. It's more than a ceramic baby with a couple of arms broke off. It's more than a plastic Jesus set on the square somewhere. This is God manifest in the flesh. It's what, oh, it's what God wanted me to know about him. Oh, what a revelation. I can see him. I can feel him. I can talk to him. His name is Jesus. Well, somebody praise him right now. I hurry. Help me get to it, Lord. So I guess this is the verse that helps me the most. And let's dive into it for just a moment. 2 Corinthians 4 and 6. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness. Yeah, that's the God we're talking about hath shined in our hearts. <laughs> Why? To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of that creative God. Where? In the face of Jesus Christ. You know, light is invisible until it shines upon an object. You ever seen it? The, I forget which Apollo mission it was. You ever seen the Earthrise photo of the Apollo mission? First time it had ever been seen by human eyes. The, the astronauts were in that Apollo capsule and one of them looked out the window and the Earth was rising up over the lunar surface of the moon, which would be the lunar surface. It's not the lunar surface of the moon, Shayla, it's just the lunar surface. 
and they see the earth rising. Have you ever seen that picture? Have you noticed that? Have you noticed the moon, the, the lunar surface is white? You can see it, grayish color. Have you noticed the earth in the distance is blue and white and the clouds, you know? But all around it's dark. Have you noticed that? The atmosphere is full of light. Space is full of light until you don't see it until there's an object on which can reflect that light. Look at the space station. I, I, Brother, Brother Lonnie, he, you know, it's been a number of years ago. He said, oh yeah, I go out at night. The sun's already go down just about dark. He said, you can see the space station go over all the time. I said, really? He said, just look for it. When the sun goes down and it's just about dark, it's just twilight, the sun will still hit the space station. You can see it. And one night I'm out and I see this thing going real fast. I think, that's not an airplane. And I think, well, well Brother Lonnie's right. That's the space station. Anyway, I don't know what that has to do with this message, but light is invisible until it shines on something. And God, <laughs> the book of John says, he dwelleth in the light that no man can approach unto. He is invisible, unknowing, unknowable until it's shown upon an object. And the object, make no mistake about it, the object is Jesus Christ. <laughs> that's what it's all about and when we start praising him we start feeling him and when we start talking to him he starts answering us oh anybody glad you know Jesus and the writer says the writer says the God that created it all has shined in your hearts and he shined there to give you the light of the knowledge of the glory of that God in the face as I see the face of Jesus, there shines in my heart the light of the knowledge of God's glory. I see God's glory in the face. We see it nowhere else. John 1 calls him the Logos, the Word. Hebrews 1 says Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature of God. Hebrews 1 later in the chapter says he's the radiance of the glory of God. That's why I'm preaching today the glory in the face. If I want to know God in his glory, I'm going to see it in the face of Jesus. In him we see not only God, but we see his glory. And I get a new understanding of Almighty God. So, if I see the glory of God in the face, I bring you three faces today. The first face of glory is the face of a baby. I see God's glory in the face of Jesus. And correct belief about who is in that manger is vitally important. John 8, 24, I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am he, and we know who he's talking to. If you don't believe that I am he, he's talking to those Jews that are hung up on God, the God of Abraham. And he says, listen, I want to tell you, you're going to die if you don't believe that I am he. If I want to see the glory of God, I've got to first start in the face of a baby. Wow. John 8, 24 says, that if you believe not, I am he, that you shall die in your sins. That's the closing statement of Peter's message in Acts chapter 2. It's the closing statement that pricked their hearts. You have taken this same Jesus whom God hath made both Lord and Christ. You've taken him and with wicked hands crucified him. Luke chapter 2 verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Don't you ever forget your Savior had a face and it looked a lot like that. No, we got to start there. If we're going to see the glory, we see it in the face of a baby. My Savior began as a baby. What does that mean? Well, God is with us in the face of this 
infant. It's the face of vulnerability. It's the face that recognize, that we recognize is tempted in all points like as we. It's the face that testifies of the struggles of childhood and parents. It's the face that testifies of the confusion of teenage years and the challenge of adulthood that the Bible calls the destruction that wastes at noonday. The face of a baby. His life started much like mine. He is acquainted with all of my ways. The writer that says he knows my frame. That's the face of his glory. The face of a baby. He knows where you are today. He knows what's going on in your life today. He is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Yes, he is. I see his face in the face of an infant. Wednesday night. Wednesday night, I had the privilege of holding a newborn. What happens when you look at a newborn? You do goofy stuff. I have to admit, nobody, well, I'm not sure nobody knows it. I believe nobody knows it <laughs> except my family. One of my family members was standing right beside me when it happened. I just happened to be in the hospital visiting a young mother who had just given birth to a child and mom was there and the little infant just hours born was there and we walked in and we're visiting and they said, oh, won't you hold the baby? And you know, Cheryl's holding the baby and then Cheryl looks at me, you wanna hold the baby? Yeah, and I can get the baby and you know, it's just, just habit. Because my daughters have had Cats, thanks to some good saints of God in this church that years ago just started dropping cats off at my house. I pray that they reap what they sow. I come out, you know, my kids are all grown up. And they're, you know, they're, they're adults, and, but, but I... I when I go outside, you know, you got to feed the cat or, you know, there's, you know, you get this voice. Hey, kitty. Hey there, whiskers. Hey there, little britches. I don't know where that voice comes from. It just, you know, it's a cat. Hey there, kitty. Yeah, kitty, kitty, kitty. I'm standing there holding this newborn infant. <laughs> I don't know where it comes from, but I hear myself going, how are you, little kitty? <laughs> My wife spins and looks at me. Did you just say, how are you, little kitty? <laughs> Nobody else heard it. <laughs> Praise God. But I can testify. I'm not going to tell you who it was or which baby is a kitty. <laughs> One of you here today is a kitty. <laughs> the word of the Lord has come upon you. <laughs> How are you, little kitty? You hold a baby, you just do crazy stuff. You, you, you think you're talking to a cat. You ooh and ah, you blow, you know. It's, it's simple. It's, it's simple. You know, the baby's happy, they're sleeping or they're smiling. If they're upset, they, they're screaming. There's innocence there. There's purity there. There's, there's hope there. When you look into the face of a baby, you, it's the hope of all mankind. It's, it's this one's going to last long after I'm gone. What will they see? What will they come to know? What will the world be like when they get my age? That's the stuff that comes on you. And I've got to see God in the face of a baby. He, he was made in the form of a man, just like mankind, just like all of us. He entered as we enter. I'm not so afraid when I see this face. The face of an infant, but it's not the only face of glory. 
I think we ought to draw quickly as I come to the music, not only in this time of year we see the face of a baby, we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. I think there's another face we need to see, a face of glory, and it doesn't look much like glory, but it's the face of suffering. It's, it's a face with spit upon it. It's a face disfigured by hatred and malice. It's a torn face. It's a bloody face. It's a face that Isaiah says in Isaiah 12, 14, as many were astonished at, at thee, his visage was so barred more than any man in his form, more like the sons of man. Well, that's a lot of nice KJV words, but that's old English. What does it sound like in everyday language? Isaiah says, but many were amazed when they saw him for his face was so disfigured he seemed hardly human and from his appearance one would scarcely know he was even a man. It looked worse than that actually. I can tell that's a man. <laughs> when they saw him bruised and broken and spit upon and ridiculed Isaiah said they wouldn't have even recognized him. This is not a vision of glory, it's a, a vision of shame and disgrace. So strange that if God says you've got the light so that you can know the glory of God that's in the face of Jesus, then I must understand that this is also glorious. <laughs> yeah, I found out how glorious when my pastor put me in the baptismal waters. And I came out of that water and I lifted up my hands to begin to praise him and love him. And I felt electricity go through my whole body. I started speaking in other tongues. And I want to tell you what I saw that night. I saw him on the cross paying the price for my sins. Oh, it, it wasn't fun. It wasn't something you'd wish on anybody. But I testify 2,000 years later that there's glory in that face. When I came to the altar, I found glory there. He was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. Oh, that, that's glorious. You see, man's glory is usually thought to lie in his ability to exalt himself. That's glory to men. It's called power. But glory in man's eyes is always that which exalts him. But in Jesus, we see God's glory consists not of his ability to exalt himself, but to humble himself. To be willing to humble himself for my sake. Glory not in a mighty display of power, but in hiding that power. Moses said, show me your glory. You remember what God said? Oh, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll make all my goodness pass before you. You see, God's glory is seen in his, in his goodness. God's been good to you. He's been good to me. The face of a baby became the face of my wounded Savior. He did not tell Moses, I'll make all my power pass before you. He didn't tell Moses, I'll make all my majesty pass before you. He didn't tell Moses, I'll make all my holiness pass before you. No, he showed his goodness. God's been good to you. This is what goodness looks like. <laughs> I see glory there. How often did he say, my hour is not yet come? How many times did he keep reminding them, it's not my time, it's not my hour? He told his mother at that wedding feast, well, it's not my time yet. But on his way to Calvary, on his way to Calvary, he said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. What a surprise. This is glorious. It's glorious. And during this time of the year, I'm thankful that in that manger was more than just a baby. He was a wounded Savior. <laughs> How good of God to simplify my quest 
I don't need to be a philosopher, a theologian, or a scholar. All I need to know has been revealed to me in the face. Am I okay? In the face of Jesus Christ. It's so simple that a child can understand. Am I okay? Yeah. It's so simple that a child can understand, yet so simple that unless you are a child, you cannot fully understand. Last but not least, the face of a baby, the face of a wounded Savior, leads me to the last face. Probably not going to be a face. Well, it, it's not going to be a face. Actually, it's the face of the resurrection, the resurrected Lord. Now, because I don't like Easter plays when they try to simulate a resurrection, have you ever seen people try to simulate a resurrection? There's a pyro technics, there's explosions, there's lights, there's laser shows, and there's loud booming music, and they try to simulate a resurrection. You know what else? I couldn't find a picture of Jesus in his resurrected form. It looks kind of goofy. His flowing hair looks like Fabio. I didn't want to leave that face in your mind. But I want to remind you of this. He was a baby. I want you to remember the face of suffering. And then the face of resurrection. Everybody say resurrection. This is going beyond knowing Jesus after the flesh. This is how, this is when an apostolic preacher is going to tell you. You got to know more than just about Jesus. You got to know him in the spirit. This is why we believe you must be born again of the water and of the Spirit. Mary Magdalene, the Bible tells us she came to the tomb, you remember, weeping. And she sees two angels and she says, where have they taken my Lord? The Bible says, turning, she's looking into the face of the very one she's asking for. Turning. She says, what have you done with my Lord? She did not know she was looking right at Jesus. Mary, who had known Jesus for years, been one of his close followers, she's standing face to face with the one she knew and the one she loved, and she fails to recognize him. How can that be? The one she knew has... Uh, Let me put it this way. This ain't the same Jesus they buried. No. Oh, oh, he's the same. He come out, he's still Jesus. But she doesn't wreck. He has passed through death into the resurrection. Oh, yeah, there, there's something different about three days later. It's the same body, but he's passed from death into life. Oh, anybody glad your Savior is alive today? Anybody glad he's more than just a baby in a manger and he's more than just a suffering servant? He's our risen Lord. Oh, clap your hands unto him right now. I hurry. He has passed from death into life. The natural body with which she was acquainted, listen, the natural, oh, I remember that on his face. He had, a, I remember he had a dimple on one side. The natural body which she had become acquainted with had died and was buried. The one who now stands before her, though the same Jesus is the risen Lord. He can walk through a wall and then Thomas can put his hand in his side. Jesus, whom she had recognized by seeing and hearing and touching. That Jesus had died on a cross. The risen Lord couldn't be recognized that way. Seeing him, 
hearing him, touching him. Mary couldn't recognize him that way. In fact, startling, Jesus even speaks to her. And he says, why are you weeping? You would think, Christina, she would, if she didn't recognize who he was, that she would recognize his voice. But he says, Brother Kelly, why are you weeping? She still does not recognize him. Surely she should recognize his voice, but nothing had happened to her eyes or her ears. She wasn't picking it up. She shouldn't. She'd been with him. She, she knew where they buried him. Something had not happened to her eyes and something hadn't happened to her ears. Something had happened to Jesus. Oh, yeah. Now, the difference, she now needs a spiritual awakening to see him. She now needs more than, well, I saw him or I was with him or I hung out with him or I saw a picture. Of, no, she needs more than that. She needs a spiritual revelation now. He has passed from death into life. Her present faculties will never discern him. You need a spiritual quickening. Oh, anybody know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, now you know why when we come to church, somebody says, ooh, I feel Jesus. And other folks go, oh, I don't feel nothing. You know why? People that have a spiritual quickening, they know when he's there. Well, I don't see nothing. I don't hear nothing. Oh, no. But anybody that's had an awakening in the spirit, they know he's, oh, I know he's there. I feel him. He's in this Oh, does anybody feel him today? Oh, clap your hands unto Jesus right now. I'm praying God give us a spiritual awakening. Jesus, help me. Her flesh could not receive it. Listen, I want to tell you, spiritual things are not carnally understood. Your flesh cannot receive spiritual things. So yeah, I, I can understand in my flesh the face of a baby. Yeah, he, he started his life like I. I can understand the face of suffering because I too suffer. Oh, but this resurrected Lord, <laughs> it takes a spiritual awakening for me to get a glimpse of that face. Jesus then, he's already talked to her. He's spoken with her. The Bible says she supposed him to be the gardener but then he says Mary <laughs> Mary he said why are you weeping he said who are you looking for but the minute he says Mary bang the light comes on the Bible says she immediately cries out Rabboni or master what happened? He didn't say, notice, Brother Pate, he didn't say, Mary, it's Jesus, come on, it's me. No, he just called her name. He did not tell her who he was. He didn't offer an explanation that would enable her mind to grasp him. He simply spoke her name. And immediately there was a spiritual awakening in her that says, that's my Lord. That's Jesus. I'm going to him. I'm running to him. I don't know about the rest of you, but I remember the night he called my name. No, you're not hearing me. I said I remember the night that he called my name. And all of a sudden, he was more than just a baby. He was more than just a man on a cross. He was a risen Lord, risen to give me power. Oh, come on, somebody clap your hands unto Jesus right now. Mary! Come on, somebody. I would to God somebody would hear him calling today. I would you would hear him calling your name. I would you would hear him say, Come unto me, all that labor. Yeah. I'll tell you what that night was like. 
Thank you, Sherry, for being patient with me. Sherry should have quit a long time ago. She should have retired. I say come to the music, and then I preach another 30 minutes. I should give Sherry half the offering every service. Aaron says, that sounds like a good deal. I want to tell you what it felt like the night he called my name. It felt like the preacher, he was still standing in the pulpit, but it felt like he had levitated down the middle aisle and got right in front of my face. And every word he was saying, it hit me right on the tip of the nose. He'd point his finger, and every time he'd point, it looked like he was pointing at me. I look back on it now. He wasn't pointing at me. There was a thousand people in that room at least. I'll tell you what, it was Jesus calling my name. <laughs> yeah. God. Come on. Why are you waiting? What are you doing with your life? And I want to tell you, friend, I knew, I knew he was in a manger. I, I knew about the cross. But I want to tell you, when I came to know him in the power of the Holy Ghost, oh, what a victorious life. Oh, what a wonderful revelation. Christ in you, the hope of glory. To see Jesus, to apprehend him as the supply of our needs, that's what seeing Jesus really is all about. He can take care of your needs. Jesus is always seen through the eyes of our need. Call him Jesus for he will save. What do you need from him today? He's the almighty. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the bread of life. He's the cornerstone. He's the counselor. He's the burden bearer and the chain breaker. He's the deliverer. He's the one that brings peace. He's my redeemer. He's the forgiver of all my sins. He is the I am. What do you need? He is the I am. He's the ever-present help in the time of trouble. Come on, he's the best doctor that there ever has been. He's the one that knows how to give you counsel when you need it. He's the best listener that ever listened. He's the one that knows how to bear the burdens. Of the what do you need today? He can be that. The face of the resurrection. I see his glory in the Christ child. I see his glory in suffering. And I see his glory and the power of his spirit. I'm glad he filled me with the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you right now, you need the Holy Ghost. You need that spiritual awakening in your life. Come on, it's more than just a gift. It is a gift, but you gotta go unwrap it. You gotta go say, Lord, this is mine. I claim it in the name of Jesus. I'll have it in the name of Jesus. I want you to pour your spirit out in my life. There are some things I'm missing out on because I need your spirit to recognize them. Come on, let's stand together. I want you to reach over, pray with somebody right now. Let's go to God in prayer. This entire congregation, come on. I love you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for your power and your spirit. Come on, pray for your neighbor right now. Lord, if I'm gonna see glory, I'm gonna see it in the face of Jesus. So I thank you for coming in a manger. I thank you for living and dying and giving your life that I might be saved. And Lord, I thank you that you're now resurrected. I see glory in the face of the risen Lord. I too can live because you live, I too can live. Because you're in the victory, I too can walk in the victory. Because you are, you are an overcomer, I too am an overcomer. Come on right now, in the name of Jesus. Oh, Lord, pour your spirit out right now. Pour your power out right now, Jesus. Come on, right now, every one of us need a stirring, a renewing. Lord, I want to walk with you. Come on, lift up your hands and love him right now. Come on. Hallelujah. Oh, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I've given what you asked me to give. I pray right now, Lord, that now the word would be 
Lord, confirm with signs following. In the name of Jesus, Lord, somebody needs to repent. The altar's open right now. Somebody needs to come and say, Lord, I'm going to give you the rest of my life. Come on, the altar's open now. Come on, you need the Holy Ghost. You need the baptism of his spirit. There are some things you cannot recognize until you receive it. Come on, right now, Lord, I'm coming for a fresh anointing of the Holy Ghost. Come on, give me some saints of God that are hungry to commit again. I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to walk with God. This is what the Lord requires of thee, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk with the Lord your God.